The ACN podcast is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners and sponsors, including the Agile Alliance. As a nonprofit membership organization, the Agile Alliance is an excellent resource to help you along your Agile journey. To learn more about the Agile Alliance and our other sponsors, as well as how you can become a sponsor or supporter of our show, please visit acnpodcast.org for more information. And thank you for your support. Good morning and good evening, everyone. This is the Agile Coaching Network. This is our 50th episode. And 50, if you think about that in, in context to what we've done over the last several years of actually having the live events and getting together and doing the podcast and everything, there's 50 hours worth of the Agile Coaching Network on a whole variety of topics, which is pretty cool. Uh, with that, we've also had a pretty close to 80,000 podcast plays, which is really, really cool. Been named one of the top podcasts on Agile, which is I, I, it's just a great honor for, for the work that we do here. That just, to me, is just absolutely great. And then on the live event, we've had uh, pretty close for this year, we've had over seven, uh, sorry, over 2,740 people come in and be with us. And that is so cool. This is a conversation between people who are working in an agile environment. The goal is to make it a conversation with the group. We do have regulars that are here, which, you know, conversation starters that have been a part of this uh, community for a while. Hendrik, Donna, Linda, Jorg, Deanna, as well as each of them have a great deal of expertise that I kind of direct the questions towards them in the very beginning. And they give some really thoughtful way of looking at the prompting question that we have. They are the ones that I want to also thank since we're coming towards the end of the year that this show could not be done without all of you. Uh, today, we have Jorg, Deanna, as well as uh, Hendrik here today. And it looks, I just noticed that on my uh, control panel that Shauna is also here as well, which is, woohoo, we almost have a full group. Um, but thanks to all of them for the hard work that they do. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get on with the first question. Was this thing about agile communities of practice? Are they needed when adopting an agile mindset and methods? If we've determined that this is good, what is the best method for forming one? And then the last one, which was an interesting kind of twist to all of this, that if I have a community of practice, how do I convince management that participating in one of these is valuable and that they don't question that if we, if we contribute to a community of practice? So to kick this off, let's see. Hendrik, are you willing to kick kick us off on this? I can try, yes. So yeah, Agile Communities of Practice. Um, when I look at the company I work in, I don't know what is the general answer to this. I can just say what what we are doing. And um, I'm not sure we, we call this Agile Community of Practice. We have a coaches guild where Agile coaches um, have a Microsoft team space where uh, they are discussing and sharing experiences and so on. And every now and then we are um, organizing meetups where, where we are talking. Um, and this has proven to be a really helpful thing to, because especially when you have a large company, uh, you want to spread um, the challenges you have with adopting an Agile mindset what works where, and there's so much experience uh, coming out of a large organization that really needs to be shared. Um, and we are helping each other extremely much in understanding how to cope with certain situations. Somebody, some, sometimes it's also more like psychotherapy, like comforting someone, yeah, I've been in the same challenge, this is a tricky one, and so on. So I think for, for supporting each other, in this challenging task of, of helping an organization adopting a change in mindset, uh, this is a very, very helpful uh, thing. Are they absolutely needed? I'm not sure. Um, I think it's just extremely helpful uh, to have something, especially when you have a large organization. And w when you say large, what do you mean large in your I mean, in our, our company is an 80,000 people company and we have, but already, the first one we had was for a 2,000 people organization. That is the scale that I'm thinking of at the moment. I know at Spotify they have tribes of, what is it, 150 Dun below Dunbar number, and there they have also like these communities of practices or guilds. Yeah. Um, 
the best method of forming one is is <laughs> so we we made this in a, in an agile way via self organization so I didn't know who are all these coaches. So I, I, at some point in time, I sat together with a couple of coaches and we said, you know what, we are inviting the, the coaches we know to this community. And we asked them to spread the word to other coaches they know. So a bit of like a sm snowball effect. And um, that led in in very short time frame to having a lot of people joining this this community. And it's totally open. It's not a closed thing. It's not, even though it's called the Agile Coaches um, Guild, um, it's not no, only Agile Coaches, it's anybody who is passionate about these topics and who would like to join. So that was a method that has proven for us to be a very good one um, to self-organize. And that also leads to the third question, how do I convince management that participation in one is valuable? I just say don't. Don't ask for permission, just do it. <laughs> That's at least how we have been managing it. These are, in our case, it's passionate people and they just do it. Um, and it works extremely well. There's a lot of buzz in that community. We help each other and uh, we are supporting uh, the company um, across um, in a really good way. Okay, those are, those are really good. Um, Jörg, your microphone went active. What do you have? Yep. So for, first of all, I agree with everything Hendrik said, and I'll try to take it to a level of, of a smaller company a bit. Uh, so the very first one, are they needed? I would say normally they form. It's a bit in line with the principle, build teams around motivated individuals. So if motivated individuals come together to solve something, they immediately form a community. So um, make it formal or not is a different question. Uh, but if the people who practice agile in your company or environment don't come together, then something's wrong. So uh, in that sense, they, they will form anyway. Um, absolutely. Uh, what's the best way? I would as well say, just get it started and then uh, people who are interested will flock around and get interesting questions answered. Uh, sometimes it's really good to start with a teaser. So if you know a problem that's anyway there or have a good story to tell that is highly relevant, start with just telling that one. And on the third one, how do I convince management? I actually would invite them and not because I want a sanction for the community, but because I want them to change and see the opportunities. So I would invite them to actually put a problem in front of that community and get it solved because then they will interact and they probably see that this kind of thinking solves their problems. And then they will probably come back and ask, how can we solve a bigger problem? And this can be a big driver for the change. Just my two awesome. cents of those three questions. Awesome. Uh, Shana, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, I think agile communities of practice don't just have to be in the in the workplace. I'm part of one um, and we meet every Friday afternoon. And it's uh, we've, you know, worked together in the past and we come together and talk about in our current places how we are trying to, how we're trying to change our own organizations. And we offer each other support and we think of ways, you know, we kind of talk through tools that we can help each other. Because in some cases, you may be the only one in your organization. So how do you get support, especially if you're getting some resistance? I think bringing together so that you can find that community doesn't just have to be internal, especially if you're in a very small, you know, organization. Thank you. My esteemed colleagues have covered most of the points, but the one thing I wanted to add here is um, yeah, the question of are they needed when you're adopting? I mean, I think it, it depends on what other structures are in place. And the analogy that comes to mind is one that's been used elsewhere. Um, I, I don't know if it started with Jerry Weinberg or who it started with, but the idea that you know, when, when we're working as coaches or advocates for Agile, um, very often we are working alone. Uh, we aren't a part, directly a part of a team, uh, even in an Agile community or even an Agile Center of Excellence, we're probably going out and working with coaches or if we're managers, we're going out and working with our, with our area. And um, so, 
the idea of uh, the analogy of sheepdogs who herd sheep and are trying to move them in a certain direction has come to mind. And 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 the idea that sometimes the sheepdogs need to be able to come together around the campfire and have a little conversation about what it's like to be out there herding sheep and 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 what you know what things are different different of us trying. And I think it's very similar to this because. Anytime we're advocating something new, we're often kind of lonely advocates out there. So it does, the idea of a community of practice gives us a little um, Spotify calls and tribes or guilds to, to be a part of and to know that we have folks to turn to. Um, and I, in terms of the best methods for forming one, one of the things I've noticed is that it seems to work best if the name of the group emerges out of the organization. What brought my analogy to mind was I was a part of a group in an organization that called themselves the Transition Shepherds. And they didn't have Agile in their name at all because Agile was a little, calling things Agile was a little problematic in their organization, but they were trying to move toward an adoption. And so they called the they focused on the transition part rather than the agile part. Um, and others have been, you know, others like guilds or um, even uh, communities of excellence or those kinds of things. So I, I think it's important to find um, an identity for the group that fits with the culture that you're in. And then you're much less likely for management to want to eject you. So. <laughs> if you stand, if you you know stand out too much, that's going to be a problematic. So, again, and as people know who know me know that I always say I'm not in the convincing business. I think you show that the community of practice is valuable, and if you demonstrate that, you don't need to convince management that the time you spend there is worthwhile. That's very good. Found the same kind of patterns that you were just bringing up, which was the. The reality was that if we named them very similar to other improvement, organizational improvements that we were doing, that it it softened at least for management that that didn't seem odd. It looked like it fit with the the rest of it. And if we we had like strange names for like uh, making improvements, we used to have something called a guyet, which was a get your act together meeting, which is. <laughs> And so we would have like a get your act, act together meeting on how we would do, say, development practices um, and trying to go do improvements and those things. So so it, it people, as long as we named it that, no one really cared. But if we named it something else, then then that became became an issue. One, one other point there is is the idea of permanence. People are always scared of something new that's going to be permanent. Right. So maybe starting it and saying, we're going to try this for six times and see how it goes. I mean, just like with retrospectives or anything else, you know, this is an experiment. We're going to see how this goes. And then if we like it and it's valuable, we'll keep doing it. Otherwise, this is just a temporary thing so we can check out if it works for us. Right, right. I, I'm fully, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Um, I, I, hopefully, I will not uh, get your name that uh, wrong. But uh, Shanrisa. Chandrasekharan. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really sorry. I, I did my best. I, I stumbled after the D. Um, it's so okay. Chandra Go with Chandra. Chandra is, you know, is okay too. So. Well, Ch well, welcome, Chandra. Um, what do you have on this? What I would, uh, you know, my way of taking the, the, uh, the best method for forming, uh, forming one is most of the companies do have artifacts of project governance. You can use that analysis of how many waterfall projects, traditional projects went through changes and where it landed. So that gives a, a path, a roadmap to start conversation with the agile. So you can have the agile governance show them the differences, impact of changes on traditional projects and how it's going to be easy with, uh, with the Agile. So that way the organization buy-in is going to be easier. So you have hard evidences. So I'm curious in that space, what I've always learned is you always translate um, to known business metrics. Like, you know, when somebody says development velocity, that falls flat in most 
conversations with management versus return on investment or employee retention, those types of things. Is that what you're right. referring to? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, there was a question that came up uh, on the uh, questions box over here, and I'm looking through this, and it's uh, Angel. So the question that Angel had in this was, it says, help, I'm in a professional services department with 800 consultants worldwide. Each consultant is supporting about four to five projects at 15% energy uh, each. Our leaders say that creating a dedicated agile team won't scale. And Angel, if you're here, you're welcome to go ahead and I can activate your microphone if you want, um, and you can uh, give more contrast to this. Hello, I'm here. Yes, thank you all so much. Um, yeah, I'm in professional services. Um, and that's new for me because I'm normally in an internal IT department so that the agile transformations that I've always led have been internal to the organization. Uh, here, it's professional services. So, you know, consulting is is their bread and butter. Um, so think, you know, Deloitte and, and, um, and those types of consulting firms. Uh, that that's where our leaders come from. So the the makeup of our consultant group are um, 800 consultants worldwide, and they're they're sliced pretty thin. You know, they're over allocated in in my opinion. Um, four to five projects is probably a good day for these consultants, um, and so they don't have time to uh, do the standups and the and the retrospectives and um, uh, and in our and you know some of the the agile events that we're asking them and teaching them to do because it's it's that it's that retro times five, right? <laughs> um, right. So yeah. So so I guess taking a step back, I'm wondering how do consulting firms um, when you're in that space where you're not dedicated to a project team, how how do they incorporate agile? Uh, into their environment. Well, well, there's a couple aspects to this, and I'll, you know, if anyone else can raise their hand, by the way, if they have some input onto this. But as a coach, or even as a consultant mindset, my goal is to teach teach the people how to go do those standups, not to be there at every single standup that they do. So, I mean, I might uh, ask in a, in a retrospective, how well did the, the daily standups work? Or do you guys need any extra help of doing these uh, more effective or well? Uh, and I might be an observer on a few of them, but I definitely, after I teach the method to them, I don't try to insert myself into it on an ongoing basis. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna scale our coaches differently um, with with that mindset, but the team members themselves are the ones struggling, and that we're getting feedback from where they don't have time to attend their own project events and ceremonies. Okay, yeah. So I mean, the way that, the way to look at it, at least in in my in my mind, is is that um, you know when you're segmenting out and helping people to learn both the agile mindset and the practices that they've mm -hmm. chosen to practice themselves, mm -hmm. it's a, it's about the reinforcement. It's it's what can I bring to the team and and aid the team to do those at the highest level of effectiveness for themselves and per their per the per what they feel that they're trying to accomplish with it. Uh, versus the, I'm going to teach you the plain vanilla, buy the book, hit you over the head with the book with it. And if you're not practicing <laughs> it, um, I'm going to continue to beat you with the scrum book. And absolutely not. It's I, We want people to uh, expand and, and learn uh, and, and fit for an individual team might mean that their daily stand-up might work completely different from another team. And, and if it works for them, great. Um, is is the overall what we expect them to be getting out of it? Is it there? Then cool. Um, but you know, it sounds to me when when someone says scale, scale always really makes my brain hurt because scaling to me is sort of like when they say, well, I'm going to try to scale scale sa uh, safe, or I'm going to take um, you know Scrum or something, and I'm going to make it now scale across five thousand people. 
and reality is you're now getting into organizational design space and you're getting into uh, really a custom baking a set of methods that work within the agile mindset. And those, those training wheels, which are Scrum and the other patterns that we teach people, uh, help us then to evolve to what the system needs to be, if that makes sense. It does. Thank you very much. I think Dave Snowden was a, he's a person who's been working with um, com complexity theory. He, he always would say something like, uh, you can't scale a nine-year-old to the same height as a 26-year-old without extreme pain. Um, let's see. Um, we have a couple of other questions that started streaming through here. Actually, um, uh, Esteban, you said you had um, something you wanted to add about COPs. Yes. Um, hello, everybody. This is the first time I joined, and I'm really, you know, enjoying the, the comments and conversation. Thank you. I work as an agile coach for a, a big corporation, right? And um, I have seen the value of of community of practice, right? We started this as a bi-weekly meeting, an hour meeting, and with the with the first, uh, you know, scrum masters and 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 agile practitioners, and, and somehow, uh, you know, the daily basis work. Let's say it's uh, it, it's it's uh, you know a constraint, and and now they there there has been a, a low attendance. Uh, you know, on the on the last uh, few months, so we have been, you know, trying. Even we send a, a poll to to get uh, to know if there will be a, a more convenient schedule or you know some other options. Because you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe we started this almost two years ago, and and we actually had a very good participation. But you know, I don't know if you know every. We used to do these uh, sharing sessions live at the office, right, in a, in a big room with a lot of, you know, tools and, and, and interaction now, virtual. Uh, I don't know if that may be the case that it has been challenging. We still have some virtual and tools, but um, but the, the attendance has been, you know, uh, really low. So I would like to know if, if any one of you has been receiving this kind of behavior from other uh, groups and, and if there are any tips and tricks that uh, you can recommend to my group so we can apply that and, and, and get, you know, back to the attendance we used to have, that, that will be my, my question. Okay. That's a good question. Uh, Shana, you work in an organization that um, I know that you started off as full-time employee. You actually had to start virtual, I think, because of the pandemic. And then you've been working a lot to get an engagement going within the organizations. How do you, how would you approach that? Yeah. So from my perspective, we've, uh, we've really embedded some tools as part of our core tool set, so things like Miro, figuring out how we can bring people together and collaborate better. You know, I think we're also going through a transformation virtually. And so, you know, giving as much context as possible. It's a little bit more challenging because you can't bring everybody necessarily together in a room and whiteboard. But what we can do and, and what we've done is done some brainstorming sessions on what we're trying to get to, what the outcome looks like, and then have them map out their concerns or what they think that the challenges are going to be. And then kind of in real time, what I really have liked about Miro is that we can kind of build out their process and how they want to work and how they want to connect with each other visually um, as a way to kind of bring it all together. So, so that's some of the things that we've done within our organization to kind of connect the dots and build more, uh, you know, both ownership as well as prevent some of the resistance that you may get. Uh, there, there's just been a lot more buy-in. I think people are excited to try something when they feel like they were part of the process that was building uh, when, to be when you're building it out. So, would you say that that's sort of you know keeping keeping it novel in some regards, um, keeping the novelty up, where going to the same type of meeting with the same type of uh, format and all all the rest, where if you're involving people into not not just being a part of the meeting, but actually forming it, that's a good thing. 
Yeah. And I think we all, I also do things like rotate who's leading it. And so more people, you know, everybody has to be engaged at some point. And so, you know, we keep a rotation schedule. We also have uh, things like metrics. You know, we, we do more of a lean Kanban style format at our organization. And so building in just kind of some of the, the conversation around continuing how, how can we how can we reduce waste how can we make this go faster those are things that we continue to talk about and people get excited about it so they get more involved into the day-to-day and they want to meet more often and so you know when we when we make many challenges out of it or we, we do those you know gamify it in some ways I think that really gets the team excited as well Cool. Uh, Jorg, uh, your microphone went active. Yeah, I just wanted to share a pretty simple practice, especially for uh, virtual dailies. Instead of trying to establish a routine where people exchange, just leave it to the team. So my team just calls up whoever is next in the dailies. So it's up to them to determine the sequence of exchange. I don't even care, but they definitely make sure everybody gets hurt. So, um, That might be something. And the second thing that I've seen with going virtual from previously meeting face-to-face is that a significant part of the benefit the team got from the daily were the minutes afterwards, leaving the room, going back to the desks and chatting to the people that had the immediate needed information. So this is what you obviously easily take away with going virtual. So enable the meeting to stay open, breakouts, whatever. ask people if that's what they're missing. And the very last thing, ask them whether they feel they are just reporting because then they will try to avoid attendance. It's not for them. Maybe all the people that might be reported to should leave some of the dailies and just leave it to the team for a bit of time to find their own way. Yeah, that's I, I fully agree with that because self-organization is if if you have to be present and self-organization isn't cutting in, that means that you somehow have just, you know, you've duplicated a, another power structure. And as a, as agile coach, I'm not, I'm I'm not the manager. I'm not I'm not the person having to you know walk somebody through everything every single time. It's it, it's tiring for myself and. Guess what? Everyone can remember the three questions. I don't have to. I don't have, all the conversation doesn't have to come to me. And and one thing you you can do is come late, and really to the last minute, and then enjoy that the team tells you they are done. And right. You are too late. They they sometimes like this. So Locke actually put into the the question box. I would like to see. I would like to hear from people who have had successful communities of practice, activities, topics, the formats that they've used. Um, I'll kick this one off. And and actually, in essence, this particular phone call that we're on is one of the community of practice um, formats that came out of uh, Intel Corporation. We actually ran a weekly agile coaching network where uh, the community came together on a virtual call and we were discussing um, as agile coaches and leading agile coaches within the environment, when we had questions, this was the call that we could get to and actually ask, hey, I'm trying to do X, is this sound good? Or, hey, I discovered this, this is really awesome. And what we found was, is that when we took this pattern of the agile coaching network out of out of Intel and, and turned it into an industry thing, it still fit, it still worked as a community and people are still engaging with it and, and, and working to go provide knowledge to it, which is uh, really cool. Allow me to add to that, Ray, because I actually did it the other way around. So I, I joined the first Agile Coaching Network sessions with you. So that's where I took the idea of the park bench and I brought it into two companies, not being an Agile topic for both of them, because actually that wasn't their pain point, but some other topic. I just invited saying, here's the park bench, join me, whoever's in the company. And it always took a bit of time taking root, but I definitely know the one company I left behind is still doing it, and the other way I am is still doing it. So it's a good format. Right. Another comment up, uh, someone says that we do have communities of practice where once a month they, they bring in speakers. 
and that was something we also did within uh, internally to our communities of practice. We we found that at least the company culture that I came from was a very if it wasn't invented here, we don't pay attention to it. And so a lot of heads down engineering work that was done um, specifically in the offices, and we talked about those things, but industry work barely penetrated into our daily. And so bringing in an external speaker, sometimes a very provocative speaker, it got us to think more about different things. Um, we had uh, Scott Hanselman, um, and I, I've plugged him a couple times on this podcast. His, his ears must be getting warm. But we brought him in one time, and in our community group, he actually set up a virtual machine, which started off on a PC that he created a virtual machine with a um, loaded a Mac OS, then, then loaded an Android image, that then loaded a – and he had this – really monstrous VM that he created with all of these OSs booting up. And at the very end, he says, and by the way, what processor is running on this? You know, and he, he did this subtle jab, well, not so subtle jab to say that, look, your processors are great, but look, I did all of this and I don't even care about what processors there. And everyone got mad, but they started to open their brain up a little bit and think a little bit more, which is really cool. Uh, another person was talking about gamification, um, it looks like. Uh, and yeah, that that's also or run a you know, sort of a Shark Tank type of format. Um, I've seen that work as well. Uh, are there any last minute uh, hands up for this particular topic? Oh, Scott, there you are. A little bit of my thunder for the notes I took on this has uh, just been taken by you. And, and uh, <laughs> that's happened so many times that I participate in some of these calls. Usually I put my hand down. But I'll say that uh, one... Uh, being an agile coach of a large uh, organization that's very slow to to move and adopt a change, there was a false start in creating uh, an agile community of practice where the managers I worked for uh, originally coming in said, well, we have a PMO, convert the PMO to an agile practice. So I will say there was a ton of difficulty around that, and uh, it was a pivot as quickly as possible and take a different approach because that was not working. Um, and in terms of keeping um, the agile practice fresh, once we got it going uh, through much the same method uh, that uh, someone um, previously said, where, okay, uh, circle the wagons, bring in a few of your champions, um, no matter what they are, whether they're a uh, product owner who's really embracing things or scrum masters who have come from the outside. Uh, or really uh, perking up to the process and, and doing well and or other Agile coaches or people who are interested in Agile and start small and, and create that suction to bring people in. But now it's been three years and keeping it fresh is the challenge. So um, if you go out there and Google even books, um, you'll find a lot of stuff written about Agile games. And so it's not quite the same as gamification of a meeting. Um, you can open... Um, your community of practice events uh, experimenting with uh, some games that are specifically around agile practices. Uh, two, the part of the thunder that got taken was, of course, guest speakers. Um, being a member of the community for quite a while now, too, I've made a lot of contacts. And so uh, I found that people enjoy uh, coming in and, and speaking about uh, telling stories or some uh, example that may provide a, a fresh outlook from a different company or even a different industry to to uh, the community that you're part of. Um, and then three, I've become a big fan of the lean coffee format. Um, what does that mean? It means it's a topic-driven uh, agile practice get-together where those topics are driven by the attendees. And so often, um, you may set up some uh, queries or open questions and constantly remind people uh, that, hey, uh, submit your questions, submit your topical ideas, submit the areas that you may be struggling with or see people struggling with in the company. And uh, and then we'll put together uh, a group of people that are uh, both new and experienced practitioners and discuss those topics. It's kind of, uh, you know, what you do here. I don't know where you generate your topics specifically, but um, a lot of times you can get those topics and have them driven um, either ahead of time or during the meeting by the people who are attending. Right. 
All great ideas. Um, the, the way the way that we actually do generate our questions is that we have a, a an online tool called Slido, where people can put in their questions and vote them up. And so we're we're pseudo lean, pseudo lean coffee because we're not actually time boxing. Um, what we've discovered that when you get you know a hundred of your closest friends in a conversation like this, uh, that there tends to be some people that want to add their contrast to it. So I, I, I let the conversation unfold um, and then try to try to keep it a little time box, but not in the same same rigor. Let's see, uh, Aoldi, am I getting your name correctly? Yes, you uh, you did a great job. <laughs> well, cool. Paris, I'll, I'll just say delay. Uh, a lot of people call me delay. Delay. Um, okay. Yes. Well, I am uh, I'm a scrum master. I'm currently, um, um, learning and um, to become a, an agile coach and I come in here basically to kind of get a you know how the you know to join the community and basically learn from y'all um, I do have about 21 years experience within the IT industry uh, but with scrum and I'm talking um, scrum safe and, and lean I do have about eight uh, years experience um, and I was just kind of wondering what the current situation with you know you guys are currently uh, I do realize um, my, my last job was with Chevron and perhaps before that um, was with uh, Toyota um, but after the pandemic you know they had to you know let go of a lot of people um, just to downsize especially we was going on with the oil and gas industry um, but most of uh, you know the uh, companies that I've been speaking to, most of them are currently uh, putting their um, the projects on hold. So I was just kind of getting a feel from those of you that are currently working. Um, what what's going on? Are you currently hiring? Um, what's the market like? Because um, once you can do you know talk to Agile Cult themselves, you can get a good feel of what's going on as opposed to um, even recruiters. Right. Um, I'm currently in the market, um, but I, I've been I've been coming here, you know, pretty much regularly for you know a couple of months now. You know, just kind of sinking in what you're saying. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm doing the you know learning agile um, to become a coach, basically because I'm also considering looking at an opportunity um, in that in that frame. Um, mm -hmm. While you know, I'm looking for a scrum master role, or perhaps if that comes out, you know, not just you know folding my hands. Basically, does that make sense? Sure, it does. I mean, I mean, number one, from an industry perspective, and and you know, us, the Agile Alliance, uh, we we're connected to a lot of companies, and so we're 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 constantly having conversations with uh, different companies in the industry. And what we're hearing is, is that across the board, a lot of them right now, priority one is trying to just stabilize their companies as the worldwide situation is just, is, is going to continue to be um, questionable. As you know, the oil and gas industry and others have been hit and entertainment and other sectors uh, across that. But what we found was, is that if you dig through and look around, there are still opportunities for agile coaches and agile practitioners in a lot of different areas. A couple though, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of online tools that you can go search for this, but just using the keyword agile inside of it um, works incredibly well. The other thing you can do is that networking within this community works well, uh, joining on either through LinkedIn or if you go to the Agile Coaching Network Slack channel, there is a job posting section there. But, you know, if you have an opportunity for this individual, uh, please put in uh, your job opportunity there. Um, and then also we are looking at ways of doing more job fair type of activities as well. Kate, you put up your hand. Yeah, I actually wanted to respond to that question. So I'm an independent Agile coach, so I'm constantly looking for, you know, what's going to be my next opportunity or my next client. But to the previous gentleman's question, I'd say take advantage of the fact that we're all working remotely and don't limit your search to your geographic area. Be open to contract work and look at who's actually doing well during this pandemic. For example, with extremely low interest rates, there's a ton of, um, you know, peak housing purchasing right now. So banking um, mm -hmm. and associated industries, and that would be what I wanted to contribute. 
No, those are those are good points. And yes, you're you're right about the banking industry. They're they're going through some major agile adoptions too um, within those organizations. A number of them are transforming themselves, you know, in a way that they're looking at the fact that they're not just a bank, but they're also as as one bank that. Uh, told me one time he says well we're a, we're really an IT organization with a banking license and they're trying to go figure out ways that they can exercise those muscles um, and so that works out incredibly well uh, we're coming with uh, 10 minutes to the top of the hour and I want to throw one more question in here um, this one might be a little bit meaty for the next 10 minutes but I'm kind of curious to see how people approach it uh, one of the things that was up on Slido was uh, and this question which the question was uh, what kind of performance dialogue on annual in the annual rewarding process uh, facilitates the best working agile culture. Um, and I'm uh, taking that this is, we're coming into review season for some people who are working in certain companies. Um, what is the best way of, of rewarding people in a way to help them to become better agilists? And Hendrik, um, how do you do this? Yeah, the time has come, end of the year is here and we need to get get the get the rewards. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think, first of all, um, I like the, the word performance dialogue. It's actually, and that's the experience I have from the company I work in, that this is rather a conversation between me and my manager or between me and my, my employees about performance. And what we do is we have certain topics we want to follow up. And it's not that I'm judging anyone. It's more like, what do we see? Um, are we happy with, with, with the results that were achieved? Where were the problems? How can, can you grow? And so on. So um, we had, of course, a time also in our company where we had like rankings and, and, and so on. But these times are gone and we are now more um, looking at how can we grow people. And these dialogues are rec recorded, of course, so that we have tool, uh, tooling around it because in these tools we have... Um, goals and, and ambitions and uh, career goals and um, also learning objectives and stuff like this. So we do a proper follow-up on all of this, but it's really much, very much focusing on how can a person grow. That's very good. Uh, Jörg, what about you? Yeah, I can just add to the growth perspective here. So one of the things that really helps is asking who helped you get to wherever you are at this point because uh, that will allow a dialogue to grow beyond the individual to the team. Because very often the people who get help notice that they get help. The people who really help and empower others are not so keenly aware of the positive impact they are having. And to um, really enforce this attitude of together we get more things done than uh, each of us alone uh, this is a really good opportunity. So getting the recognition from others spread uh, is, is really good because that, again, means you can strengthen the skills of supporting others uh, and discover new methods and strengths to the team to get it to work closer together. Um, and definitely the other thing is as well, what are you expecting from yourself for the upcoming period? Not only... What do you desire? But as well, what what kind of challenge do you want to take up and and ex, uh, accept? So uh, I again would make it a dialogue and be very very curious what people think and want, uh, and then definitely what they ask me to do is the other part. Uh, and and for those um, who look for an interesting question, that's one that I had at my first company asked every performance review uh, for for several years. Does he bring humor to the company? Because they knew that humor is something that opens communication and enables the team to do new things. Uh, it took me five years to discover why this question was in there. Uh, but uh, I think now looking back, it was a very smart thing to ask. There was a couple of vectors that we used. Um, and in particular, if you go back to the agile values, 
understanding how how you meet the agile values says whether or not the methods that you're using are going to be effective and so customer orientation uh, or you know the fact that we're we're communicating with our customers and so performance dialogues that I would have with people is what feedback have you gotten from your customers about the product that you're that you're shipping uh, or the or the work that you're doing and contributing to others, and that doesn't have to be the big customer that you ultimately ship it to, because most of us have uh, you know customers uh, that are internal to the organizations, and so we would look at and say, well, how am I living up to the values, uh, and what work do we need to do to 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 improve that? And it was trying to, um, and this is one of the things with big companies, we never really got to the point where we got rid of the stack ranking system, which I spent 10 years trying to kill. But we we adapted the system to where it became a much more empathetic and humane tool to have a decent discussion about how am I doing and how am I doing to both customer expectations uh, as well as to organizational needs. And, and I felt that, that that blend worked incredibly well. And uh, Joanne, you have your hand up. What would you like to add? Yeah, just an interesting dialogue that you're having, but I don't know that the question was fully answered, nor can it be, like you said, in the 10 minutes that we have. But just one um, piece of information from my experience in working in um, Waterfall as well as, you know, transformations over to Agile, the one company I worked for, they didn't necessarily handle it properly as far as I was concerned because they didn't do individual reviews. They did like team reviews, which is a very difficult thing. And I, I understand agile is all about an environment of trust and, and people, you know, communicating with each other to help each other be better or whatever. But when you get to people's pocketbooks and what kind of raise they're going to get and stuff like that, people may become defensive in a, group environment as opposed to an individual. Plus, having been a manager myself in the past, I always felt that the one-on-one with the individual was just as important or more important than the group meetings as far as how's the team doing versus how are you actually doing. So I I think that it's a little bit of a slippery slope from the perspective is there may be organizations out there that are still doing a little bit more, I don't want to say waterfall because it's not really applicable, doing more of the individualized. And then there are some companies that may have gone to the extreme. So it's, it really is a challenge, at least I see, to still coach people. And as managers, you're supposed to talk about their development needs, but more as how can I help you get better at it than this is what you did wrong this past year. You know what I mean? So I agree. Um, so it, it is a very much of a challenge. And, and I've often thought when I was working for the previous company that, that did do the agile team group goals and, and, and group reviews and stuff like that, I get it. You're, you're still all working towards a common goal as you would be, even if you were doing waterfall, but, but still it's, um, it is very challenging and it's a, a different world out there, I think for the HR folks and, and for the managers for that matter. Um, the company I work with now, we have common goals, but we do do individual reviews. And, you know, your manager may talk to you about what you did well, how you might, you know, benefit the customer better or benefit your team better and so forth. So, um, but it's interesting, like I said, my previous employer, it was more of a, okay, we're agile now. One set of, you know, goals and one meeting with everybody. And I'm like, no, that doesn't really work. <laughs> And I agree with you on that. And I've seen a, a couple aspects of how that can work. I mean, I have exposure to to the company Pivotal. And what I th- thought was really cool about their empathetic uh, gene that they had in their company is that if somebody declared that, you know, as a team, uh, and I said, I'm going for the next job grade, I want to I want to get that next job grade. The rest of the team goes, oh, how can we help Ray get to that next job grade? Um, maybe give him more assignments like this or maybe more work like this and, and let me coach and help him. Um, and it was just – literally, I was sort of like blown away just how much empathy that everyone had for one another. I think that when you're talking about low degrees of trust or you've got organizations that might be in a different twist, um, you know, that might – 
be almost impossible and difficult to do because it does come down at the end of the day that yes, I'm a part of a team, but I am an individual who's trying to make a living and please help me to understand how I do better. And we're gonna have to, go ahead, please. Just one last quick thing on that. And the other tough part of it is not just people and their pocketbooks, people are competitive by nature. So, So even though we are a team and we wanna help each other, Sometimes your self-satisfaction is, well, what did I do this week to to make this product better and this project better? Not always like, oh, well, I helped that person do better. You know what I mean? So it's it's human nature. It's it's challenging is all I'm saying is it's human nature to be a little bit self-centered because you strive to to compete and be be the best or be better. And to that, and I'll just add the last part and then we'll have to close, is that the reward structure needs to be targeted both at what we do as a team, you know, did we meet those goals and what we do as individuals. They, they can't be just one or the other. They have to be both. And, and, you know, for you to be successful, you're going to have to have a couple of coupled goals that I've got to go work with those people more effectively. And I, I find that that is the, the best course of action to, in order to balance the organization and organization uh, design. So we're at the top of the hour. This is our last call for the year. We will not be meeting in December, but we are gonna be kicking something off in December as an experiment for the Agile Alliance. If you've ever been to one of the Agile Alliance um, events, there's always been an Agile Alliance lounge and it's a place where you can go and share and network and hang out and just have a, this moment of serendipity if you want to, or if you want to go talk about something, you can go join a table and be able to have that conversation. And so the lounge is something that we're going to be kicking off uh, coming into December. More details will be coming, but you will actually be able to join a virtual table um, and start conversations with groups of people. Um, and you guys get to self-organize in that whole that whole experiment. Uh, go to agilealliance.org to understand what that next, uh, when that launches. It's uh, going to be a few, probably a week or so before I actually get that posted up there uh, for the launch. Um, let's see. Uh, next event is going to be Friday, January 29th. And uh, if you guys want to, please uh, go up to the podcast. If you want to listen to the last 50 episodes, go to Agile Alliance ORG, or you can go to agilecoachingnetwork.org to join our Slack channel. And from that, um, we're going to close. And I wish you guys all a great end of the year. Remember, 20, getting out of 2020 requires that you scream Jumanji, I think, in order to, to, <laughs> to, to exit. Um, because we're ready to steam off into ad, you know into you know great agile experiences that we're going to have in 2021. And thank you all for. is provided by Agile Alliance for educational and informative purposes only. To find out more information about the member-supported Agile Alliance, please go to agilealliance.org to find out about more upcoming events as well as different programs that are available to help you with your Agile journey.